have you guys got drinks, by the way? Mm-hmm. No. I have some water. Do you want to be drinking? Well, do you want to grab a water or something like that just for your throat, just in case? If you want to, if you're not, if oh, you're I comfortable. Th- I thought you meant whiskey. <laughs> no. Hold on. Are you heading for the stereotypes? You've got Shrek and we've got whiskey <laughs> within the close. Well, it sounds like you're from the UK or Scotland. You're Scottish, I am from right? Scotland. I'm Scottish, yeah. Yeah. Hold on, I'll be right back. That's all right. <sighs> My word. <laughs> Don't meet your heroes, they said. <laughs> Gavin's a good man. <clears throat> Don't meet your heroes. He just disappointed me in the first kind of 30 seconds. You know, Shrek. <laughs> Compared you to Shrek. I don't know. And compare me to Shrek and then talked about whiskey. And, uh-huh. You know. Yeah. But you sound like a decent man. <laughs> but you can be my new... I'll be your new, you I'll be your be new friend. My, you can be my new hero. <laughs> Perfect. Gavin, get out of here. Get I, you know. Oh. I'm back. Were we weren't you guys talk- talking about me? No. We were We were not talking about me being the new hero. You're, you're, yeah. you're out. I'm just, you know, just a bit cut up about the whole Scottish stereotype <laughs> thing, you know. I had haggis for dinner. I mean, I don't know what you're talking. I'm wearing a kilt, you know. You're lucky the camera's not on. You get an extra view. Um, okay, let's. I'm just going to jump you, in. And you kind of look like Willie from uh, The Simpsons. Watch it. Um, okay. Hello and welcome to another episode of We Are Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for August. Um, some people, this, it's like, was it Ron Burgundy said, you sit on a throne of lies. And some people sit on a throne of dice. Mm-hmm. In fact, some people have taken their throne of dice and they've made almost like an entire series of games about it. And so when you get into a series of games about it, then there's only one thing that you can do. You really need to reach out and see if you can speak to these people who have turned their their die turned their their throne of dies into a dice throw, made it into a series, made it successful, get it on Kickstarter. It's the it's exciting. I have got one of my heroes, Mr. Manny Trembley, <laughs> and I've got some other guy with him <laughs> who hangs about Ooh. with him a lot. And tries to claim all the glory. It's it's Gavin Brown from Roxley Chickeny Games type thing. I don't know. We can the real we'll hero. <laughs> um. Anyway, I'm not apologising for that intro after what's said. I mean, I'm still kind of, I'm stuck in a heart. You know, I'm just, I'm just feeling the first thing was a paper cut and the second thing was a lovely bit of lemon juice. So you can't have it all. So, so there you go. And then so, after shave. <laughs> <laughs> and then after she, it's like Kevin and Home Alone, and I can't believe they're remaking that. But there you go. Anyway, how are you doing, gentlemen? Are you doing well? Great. Yeah, I'm doing great. Yeah. How are you doing, man? Yeah, this is uh, it's incredible. We're coming into the end of our campaign, and it is uh, it's exhausting, but it's epic. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's kind of because you're at. I'm checking, and in pounds, that's UK British pounds, you're at like 1.2 million, which in dollary dues mm-hmm. is one and a half million. Yep. And in Canadian dollars, over two million. Oh. <laughs> See, I'm Canadian, so we were just having, me and Manny were just having a discussion that I get to say 
we made over two million. <laughs> yeah. And he only gets to say that we made over one point. I'm gonna pretend I'm Canadian though, and I'm gonna tell all my friends we made two million. I think I think you're entitled to do that seeing as you're my new hero. Yeah. Um so there you go. Um but Mood in the Camp must be are you kind of is this is the last kind of thirty hours, so normally what's happened is, you know, eighteen hours ago the the kind of the emails have gone out to all the people who liked and favorited kind of like the project. So is this kind of all is this kind of all hands on deck, kind of red alert, kind of battle stations, Gavin, for yourselves at the moment? For this last kind of push? Yes. Um we're definitely I mean, this is now what our fifth or sixth campaign. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit less of a you know, DOS boot situation mm-hmm. than than it normally would be. Um, and now we have more support with uh, Paul Saxberg and Adam Wise and uh, Kira Peevely helps yes. us on a daily basis. So we're trying to be organized and um, be less, you know, make it easier on everybody's lives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, when, even when we're running Kickstarter campaigns, because ideally, you know, we're trying to make this a career and trying to integrate Kickstarter um in a sort of feasible way for in the long term of our business, right? So we're doing whatever we can to to not you know overstep bounds on on anybody's personal lives too much, but still, I mean, Paul, might you know, we're working all every night, every day, yeah, yeah. kind of thing. So yeah. that's just part of deadlines. But there's nothing like that feels, um. <laughs> you know, out of control at the moment, which is nice. Yep. Like right now I'm actually drawing a piece of art while we're talking. Well, that's yeah, fine because, you know, you're doing heroic work there, Manny, so I didn't expect you to. You're, you're a multitasker. Yes. That's what, that's what it's I like. It's true, it's true. <laughs> People are going to want to know what the hell's going on in the background and why this is all turned about. And you know what? I'm not going to tell them. I'm just going to leave it as a, I'm going to leave it as a mystery. Um, for yourself, Gavin, when <clears throat> was this a planned kind of journey for you? Or were you, when you first kind of started off with things like, you know, one of my favorite games, Steampunk Rally, um, was it just, was it the hobby time at the time or had you already kind of planned out? Because Roxley Games itself has has managed to hit some serious, well-known games in its kind of campaigns and things like that so far. Santorini, which was like, basically it was a tabletop darling for goodness knows how long. You've got kind of brass there as well. You've got obviously Dice Throne. Are you kind of sitting there going, this is, this actually maybe in some ways couldn't have gone any better the last kind of four or five years for yourself? Um... Yeah, in in many ways, I feel I basically always just kind of feel fortunate mm-hmm. um, that I get to work with such talented people, and um, you know, I, I'm I'm so obsessive, I guess, and mm-hmm. that's kind of like my my curse and my you know my superpower at the same time. Yeah. Uh, so all these games, you know, all these games the covers and all the details and, and even the gameplay, you know, they, they just go through the ringer and our objective is to really make games that fire on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I do feel, uh, f- you know, fortunate that obviously we have had 
the success that we've had in in the last couple of years. Yes, and like I I sometimes a lot of the time you know you work on a project so long and you're like is this even good I like I can't even tell anymore yeah. it just seems like garbage now to me and then you know when you get the objective opinion of the market and they say how much they love it you're like oh you know it is it is good and you know I it's just it, I've been just been staring at it so long that I've forgotten how good it is yeah. Um. With the, Dice Throne is different for me though. Be, like, yeah. Because I feel like Dice Throne was something that was brought to me. Um. And I, you know, we we signed it. Uh. I I actually signed it because of how passionate Nate and Manny are. Yeah. Not. And and how highly other people had talked about the game. I hadn't. I hadn't really realized at the time that we signed it just how good the game was <laughs> and we and i i just knew that i wanted to work with guys uh that are people that are as passionate as nate and manny um but then i started playing with my kids and uh, you know i think it's the our most absolutely by far the most played game in our household you know we played i played well over 200 games with my kids so mm-hmm. You know, and to, to this day, it's one of my favorite games of all time. So I feel super fortunate to to you know be involved in the project. Um, Manny, did you did you pitch Dice Throne to a lot of people before it landed in on kind of Gavin's desk? No, <clears throat> no, we did not. Actually, we pitched. We talked with one other publisher, beef, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and then we talked with Gavin, and meeting Gavin actually the first time was kind of unique. It was uh, Nate and Gavin were on a Facebook community group page talking about games, and they both right. they both had similar opinions on some random post. I don't even remember what it was. Maybe Gavin does, but they uh, then then they ended up chatting in private message. And at the time, Nate and I were wondering, can we actually do we have the capacity to take Dice Throne where it needs to go? Um, can the mm-hmm. two of us, uh, Nate runs his own company. He's, he's a busy, busy man. And yeah. so we are like, well, if we were going to partner with anybody, we would want to partner with someone like Roxley. Cause we looked at their games. We looked at what they did and we're like, we, I mean, even before we ever really sat down and talked, we, we wondered, you know, is this a guy who would be willing to work with us and willing to take on dice throne? So. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's kind of like the div- it's the diverse catalog that kind of Roxley has, mm-hmm. and that's kind of continued as as kind of as kind of as I say as kind of time time goes on. I mean, I forgot. I'll be honest. I perf- I totally forgot that you guys had you know, you'd been responsible for brass, and it's like well, that's the kind of the 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 diverse kind of nature of the kind of the the catalog that you're that you're running with. Um, would you have taken it to Kickstarter yourself then, Manny? If if you know, did you were you or would you think, well, this is my limitations. If I if I don't if I end up taking it to Kickstarter myself, I might not end up with a product it deserves to be. It doesn't, you know, it'll it'll be the caterpillar instead of being the butterfly. Kind of oh, thing. sure. We we actually launched the Kickstarter, the first one ourselves. So Dice Throne Season mm-hmm. One was just us, Nate and I. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so we uh, we did all the fulfillment, all the distribution. We worked. We got our arrangement with uh, PSI for consolidation distribution across the world. 
mm-hmm. uh, manufacturing. Mm-hmm. We handled it, handled it all. But part of the realization there is that's a lot of work. It's a lot of labor. Yeah. And we just we felt like as we continue to grow, we're gonna need help. We we need we need someone to help us on this path. So with the second one, obviously, once we partnered with Roxley, um, it was a no brainer that Roxley would run the second Kickstarter for season two. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, do you think that Gavin? Do you think that your track record then can it help propel kind of dice throwing? You know, anyway, you know, it was already kind of it had a name to. It. Do you reckon that that your kind of back catalogue and again? Your Santorini's, your steampunk rallies, that kind of help kind of push it even further than where it might have possibly gone anyway. I I like to think that, um, I mean, the, the reason why I'm so obsessive and so picky with games is is because I want, um, you know, our, our ultimate objective is for people to, when they go into a store and they see Roxley on the box, you know, they they pick it up and they look at it. It the theme looks cool to them. They read the back. The gameplay sounds interesting to them, and then mm-hmm. they go buy it. They don't have to go on to Board Game Geek and who you know what's the average rating. Yeah. I want people to just look, you know, see that a game is a Roxley game and say, I'm going to just buy that game. So I would like to think that um, that that my level of obsession and and my my threshold for quality um, has helped, I guess, any game that we bring to market. Um, that's that's sort of the intention. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, so. I can state unequivocally that Roxley's involvement has been a major catalyst in the growth of Dice Throne. Like I, I mean, Nate and I, we we set out, we made our game, we published it, we did a Kickstarter, it was successful, we delivered mm-hmm. on time, we did everything you should mm-hmm. do, and we were ready to launch a second one ourselves. And when we partnered, there's there's definitely us wanting to. Like, we partnered with this group a because Gavin's awesome, um, and definitely worth being a hero. I might add. <laughs> we'll see. Okay. But I, the, uh, like, it's interesting because you look at season one, like, I did all the graphic design for season one, and I am not a graphic designer by nature. Like, I can do the work, but I'm an illustrator. And when Gavin came in, he, he and Roxley elevated our product to the next level, uh, up to the graphic design, the box, the trays, all the components, all the, the, the presentation that, that wow factor when people look at it on a shelf, they look at it everywhere. So I think 100% uh, Gavin and Roxley's influence in Dice Throne is a major catalyst to why we're sitting at 1.5 million on our third Kickstarter. The thing, I guess, when you get that kind of level, um, are you, I, I mean, are you, Gavin, are you starting to think things along the lines of a CEO? I mean, are you starting to break away from the, I'm, doing this i need to think more like how we're doing this business infrastructure and things like that and bringing other people on and you can't you know the the realization you can't just do everything in yourself are you having to think more in terms of this is this is a you know proper you know not a, you know what i mean not 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 trying to talk but like a real business there's going to be, we're going to have to, I'm going to have to think about resources. I'm going to have to think about management. I can't just say, I really love playing games. I really love designing games. I'm just putting games on kind of Kickstarter. Have you had to try and change your, your kind of your focus and the way, the way that you're looking at things? 
I mean, <clears throat> I'm trying my best not to <laughs> yeah. change. Um, I'm doing, and I think I, I'm doing more than what other business owners like. I'm sorry. I think I'm doing more to try to maintain the roots than a lot of business owners even want to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm still doing a lot you know, almost all the graphic design with the help of Guy now, who does a lot of the layout. Yeah. Uh, Guy is in Brazil. Um, and the branding. And yes, it's a lot of the time it's more more than I can handle. And so some a lot of the time I'm the bottleneck. No, so, right, okay. you know, I, it's almost, and but I don't want, like a, the objective for me in, with Roxley was to have an outlet to make games. Um, make good games and so i'm gonna do whatever i can to to maintain that i don't i don't want to be a huge company um which is strange in this capitalist sort of society we live in but i want to be a small little team of uh of passionate people and i want to make i want to make games and i want to make very good games um yeah so i'm doing but it's what you're saying is true it's it's unavoidable yeah um but i have been lucky enough to be able to hire people <clears throat> to help me and actually kind of boss me around to be honest um um so paul and adam and max is a uh, he ra- he ran a or runs a little publishing company called stratamax games yeah and uh he's kind of the gray hair of the group and he he kind of keeps me um under control and in line and thinking about timelines. Um, Cause I'm absolutely not the best guy for timelines. I can drive a single project to completion and I can also, you know, if I, if given enough time, I would just develop something endlessly forever. Mm-hmm. So I need somebody to kind of crack the whip for me. Um, and Nate in, in terms of dice throne, Nate is very much that, that person. Uh, that keeps keeps us all, me and Manny, both as artists. We tend to just refine and redo and and just be creative or want to be creative. And Nate is the the guy that's saying, "Okay, let's get on with it," because we yeah. this is the dates and these are when we need to get things done. But obviously, you know, I do do a lot, like I, I do a lot of negotiating and lots of trying to you know making you know, capitalizing on opportunities and overseeing staff. I mean, this is all unavoidable parts of business, uh, thinking about finance and budgeting. Um, yeah. So definitely my role has changed more and more, but I've been lucky enough to still be able to maintain my ability to oversee the branding and do most of the branding work, um, as, as well as, you know, all the graphic design, and you know a lot of development as well has it um has it so, given you a bit more yeah. freedom to maybe take some risks in some future projects to maybe look at i mean i, I, I am i get am i am i right in saying that you're um has it allowed you to to consider kind of like taking more risks when you're looking at kind of uh, more ips i'm because i'm guessing are you are you starting are you starting to get pitched quite a bit 
then? I mean, are people kind of, do you have to sift through emails on a daily basis, Gavin, with people saying, I've got this brilliant idea, it's just like Santorini, except it's in Egypt, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, we do get a lot of pitches via email. Um, mm. We we basically say no to almost everything. Um, mm-hmm. We have si- actually signed a couple Um one that we're going to probably announce here soon that Manny actually did the art for. And David All right, okay, Manny. cool. Yeah. Um, and the game is quite good. Um, so we do get pitches. Basically, we say, look, if it's on Tabletop Simulator, yeah. then you can pitch us the game because <laughs> we can like review it quickly. They can explain it in live yeah, in person, yeah. and we can play test it all within an hour kind of thing. So, you know, we do get a lot of a lot of pitches, but mostly they're they're weeded out uh, through email by Paul. All right, okay. What about yourself, Manny? I mean, I mean, obviously, Dice Throne is going to be a huge thing that um, you're going to be involved in. But at the same time, are you allowing yourself to look at other designs, other kind of games? Have you still got the kind of the A4 kind of notepad full of game ideas that you'd like to get to the table? Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, I have uh, two games that I co-created with my friend Aaron, and we we mm. had those. T- two of them picked up by a publisher. They haven't announced it yet. Mm-hmm. And not Roxley. Uh, but they picked up two two games. Um, and then I'm also mm-hmm. working on a game, uh, doing the art for a game for Skybound called Wonderland's War. And so I have... Oh, yeah, I've heard of yep. Yeah, I heard yep. about that. <laughs> so I'm doing the art and graphic design stuff, or, well, first pass on graphic design uh, uh-huh. for that game. And then I've also... They've been nice enough to let me join their game design and development. So I get to go down i travel down to la and i've been able to meet with them and play the game and offer feedback and make suggestions and stuff and they've been very gracious to listen to me and take my feedback and um i've gotten to see some of it implemented into the game which is super cool but uh yeah it's really neat we're that that game's supposed to come to kickstarter in october i think is the plan I think so. I mean, to tell the truth, I mean, I, I had James Hudson on the show um, a couple of years ago, and he mentioned the kind of the the, the Alice in Wonderland game kind of back there, and mm-hmm. then I think uh, Guardians Call and everything like that kind of happened. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking at the time he was just, you know. <laughs> We had a kind of a jokey conversation and I thought he was just like kind of saying, I'm just going to tell you any name at all. And it's like, all right. And then this game never appeared. And then all of <laughs> yes. a sudden, the last kind of six months is kind of is kind of rocked out because he moved. Obviously, he's working full. He's, in with, he's full time at Skybound, isn't he? Now? He is there, yeah. Um, game, him, head of game development there, yeah. Yeah. Him and uh, is it Derek Funkhauser? I think he's yep, joined yes. the team quite recently yes. as well. So, yep. um Derek will be. I think Derek will might be paying us another visit himself, kind of soon. So you got? Have you got the ability to kind of go and do whatever you kind of want then? Um, as well, it sounds like you're not kind of completely a hundred percent exclusive with with Rockley then. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Dice Throne is probably the thing that occupies a majority of my time. 
I mean, the truth is when mm-hmm. I, when I started working with Skybound, my first statement to James was, Hey, as long as you're cool with me taking as much time as I need to make the art, I'm happy to, I'm happy <laughs> to do it. Cause I, I, he yeah. knows Dice Throne is my baby. This is, this is my yeah. project. You know, I love Wonderland's War. It's a great game and I love making the art, but Dice Throne is my, that, that that's my game. So I'm going to make sure that Dice Throne gets, gets first pick of my time and my energy. Are you are you both working on projects? Have you got other projects together that you're going to be working on then, Gavin? I mean, I take uh, it you're not just letting him go anywhere he wants. I mean, I yeah, take... we've I mean we've talked about collaborating on several projects actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I like I got into this whole thing because I wanted to be a game designer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like for ten years, I designed games before I even started Broxley, so. You know, I want to eventually be able to, you know, release some of my own designs and collaborate with somebody like Manny to to make something super cool. So there's several that we've that we've talked about. Yep. Yeah. Do you miss being just kind of designing away and being able to kind of do what you want, Gavin? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Like every everything comes at a cost, right? So yeah. Everybody, you know, I meet you meet. I mean, a lot like, you know, I'm, I'm one of the founders of Game Artisans of Canada, which is like a, an organization of, of Canadian game designers um, that we established in 2008. And back mm-hmm. then there was no Facebook groups or no, you know, there was nothing really. Designers would design in a box and we created this organization and, and it really helped us everybody. It, we had a forum and everything where we talked about game design and it was just revolutionary for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but back then and from then till now it's, or sorry, from then until I started Roxley, it was just kind of me up all, like I, I have hundreds of Google docs with, with, uh, you know, game design, game design documents, um, and all these prototypes, like I have a, I have a game called Hooch, which is a heavy economic game, I guess, kind of like yeah. brass. Yeah. Um, that's, I, I, like, if I look at that folder and how much, gra- how many graphics are in it, <laughs> there's hundreds of hours of, of just dis- like visual graphic design that I put in, let alone all the, there's like 18 versions of the design document for it. And I've made probably about eight physical prototypes of it and, you know, spent two years on it. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it, it never got published, you know, because when Roxley started, you know, there's, a, I, you know, it's kind of like there's a difference between your calling and your dream, right? And my dream is to be a game designer, and I still get to design, obviously, and and develop. Um, yeah. But if my, eventually, you know, like I kind of envy Jamie Stegmeier, um, in that he has the mental fortitude and the time to be able to continue, you know, being the main designer of it in his company, right? So, yeah. So, but uh, my calling is definitely being like, I'm really, I never wanted to actually be a game publisher. It's just, (laughs) I realized that, that no one like back, you know, back when I was getting into game design, no one was doing what I felt was a really a good job. There's very few that I felt were doing an actually a good job of, of, of publishing games. Um, 
And so I was like, I, I, if I'm going to make, I'm going to make my own games, but I'm also going to publish them too, because I was doing, I was doing board game art. I did eminent domains art with with TMG. And, uh, so I, I had gone, I'd done everything in the, the process of publishing games, except writing the check to the manufacturer, basically. So, you know, I was kind of like, I need to just do this myself and then I'll, you know, make, I'll just make my own games. And, and then you realize how much work it is to publish a game. And the last thing on the list is always designing your next game. So then it's like, oh, well, you know, I can design the, you know, I can keep working on a design, but I don't know when it's going to be finished. Maybe never because mm-hmm. game design is very random and you don't, you know, it's very difficult to, to know when something is going to be be finished when you start it but i have all these awesome games presented to me and in front of me so i'm like let's just publish these instead um yeah of me just because i don't want it to be a vanity press right it's not about me it's about making the best game and until i can make it the best game for us to publish i'm not going to publish it so would you like to do what jamie does and kind of move away from kickstarter I mean, you're now in the million dollar club. I mean, your your guys are there. You know, it's kind of like it's. It must be really difficult to think. Well, you know, we could probably if we put up a kind of another strong kind of game under the dice throne brand, we're probably definitely going to hit another million. But there's the unknown kind, the distribution side of things as well. So would you would you ever move away from Kickstarter? Do you think? Could you? I I I. I actually, so probably last year I was really contemplating this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and, but I've really been, um, I've, it's been my mission for a long time to see because Kickstarter is a very volatile environment. Yeah. Um, you, you, there's, it's easy to, you know, do something wrongfully and, you know, even if you don't mean to, that, you know, really upsets the community. And a lot of the time they're right. Um, yes, but you just you had there's no way to have known from your perspective that what you were doing was wrong or incorrect. Um, and so obviously this is that volatility is, I, I believe, part of, you know, what what drove Jamie to kind of quit using Kickstarter. Um, but it's been my objective for a long time to sort of see if we can overcome that and figure out if there's a way for a company to use Kickstarter um, long term as a part of like the, their business model. Um, so we don't do very many Kickstarters. Um, the latest thing that we've done, obviously in the last two Kickstarter campaigns, um, and in one of my theories, it's been one of my theories for a long time, is uh, stretch goals uh, create just create more volatility in a campaign. Um, you know, and they create uh, expectations that the creator can't necessarily um, live up to. Um, yes, and they create they create they can create disappointment in the community and animosity um, if if the community feels that you know what the stretch goals are aren't good enough or whatever. So the la- the iron with the iron clays campaign that we did, you know, that we just finished last month, or the month before i don't know it's all blur because we're so busy <laughs> but when we finished the iron clays campaign 
um, or sorry, when we ran the Iron Plays campaign, I was like, they, they were, I was like, I'm not doing stretch goals. I'm, I'm just gonna try it. Yeah, yeah. And I, and right before, like, when I clicked that launch button, I'm like, this is gonna fail. We have no stretch goals. This is gonna fail. This is gonna fail. Mm-hmm. But I needed to. I just needed to know. I just needed to know. Can we succeed with no stretch goals? And <laughs> I mean, obviously, the the campaign just blew my expectations completely out of the water. I had no yeah. idea that it would do that well, no clue that it would have done that well. And so, and, and people were happy. They were happy without the stretch goals and we managed to create engagement without stretch goals. And so, you know, did we leave, are we leaving money on the, and so we did the same thing with the Dice Throne Adventures campaign um, because I, I believe that it is that our mental sanity and our, our, sort of enjoyment of our job uh, and, you know, reducing the stress is important to making Kickstarter uh, feasible for the long term of the company. Yeah. I also, my my concern over stretch goals as well as the smaller guys, because sometimes they're just happy to be funded and getting their stuff out there. And there seems to be a bit of a pressure to have kind of multiple stretch goals as well. I mean, I mean, yourself, Manny, I mean, how do you, what do you think about the stretch goal situation, looking at it from somebody who's got, you know, you've got your baby there and you want to look after it. I mean, would you prefer that people had the ha- were able to get their hands on the entire thing and you weren't kind of ending up having to kind of hold stuff back, I guess? I think there's, I think there's value in stretch goals. And I, I would actually say that the smaller the publisher is or the, the newer they are to Kickstarter, the more that mm. you can actually use stretch goals to your advantage. Because if right. you were small, like our first campaign, we didn't know if we would raise 15,000, 30,000, 100,000. We had no idea. So we set our bar really, really low for manufacturing on the off chance or on chance that we we only had 500 backers or 1,000 backers and we only made $40,000. So we knew going in that we need to be prepared to make a minimum viable product. And if we can't produce yeah. that minimal viable product, then we shouldn't be on Kickstarter at all. But then we use stretch goals to enhance the game and we genuinely made the game better because the people were there, they 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 paid for it. They wanted it. They they supported our yeah, game, yeah. and we were able to increase the, the the hero count. We were able to do a number of things. So when you're a small publisher, an indie publisher like that, if you're if you're genuinely using stretch goals to make the product the way you really want to make it, then I think that there's validity to it. But I think if you're a major publisher, like the Dice Throne Season Two box is an incredibly produced box so incredibly high quality and yeah so i'm not i'm not sure what you would do like if we started out the campaign with like well guys we're gonna dumb all the content down to nothing we want to make sure we can have stretch goals so let's stretch goal to linen finish on in the box and you know that's silly that's just a that's just a silly business model at that point and i feel like if we came out the gate with a crappier version of Dice Throne Adventure because we wanted to pretend to stretch goal to get a better box and some vacuum trays that that, that felt in disingenuous and I think so for our situation coming out the gate and saying listen here it is guys this is what we this is the game that we want we want to play it we want you to play it yeah you know 
enjoy, enjoy it. And we didn't set a precedent, but Kickstarter is so has trained people and it's Kickstarter's fault and it's publisher's fault. But backers have become so incredibly taught to even when you tell them, nah, man, there's nothing else coming. They think that you're giving them a wink and a nudge and you, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, nothing else is coming. Right. Uh huh. Uh huh. We look we yeah. we look forward to this nothing else. Eh, what are you going to show us? The update comes and nothing. No, no. And, and then they're mad. Then they get mad. They're like, "What's this garbage? You give, you give us nothing." And we're like, "We told you we're giving you nothing." And they're like, "All oh, right, nothing." You say, "Right, right, right." The next update, nothing's coming. Ha ha ha. I just yeah. I think it's um. I think as Kickstarter on the video game side seems to be shrinking. Whereas Kickstarter on the board game side continues to be kind of steady as she goes, kind of mm-hmm. thing. But I think you're starting to see as the hobby hobbies kind of collide slightly on the Venn diagram. Mm-hmm. I think you start to see people who are or your board gamers are well aware of what's happening in the video game market and how they seem to be carving off kind of chunks of their game and then offering it as here's cosmetic DLC you can buy. And my concern about a lot of Kickstarters is that there was two. One of them is, like you say, you know, if you're kind of, if you're a smaller publisher and you're like saying, well, you know, it's going to cost us, you know, $9 a box on the plain finish, but I can get a linen finish and that's going to cost us nine fifty a box, but we have to have a stretch goal for that. I think that's kind of a maybe a valid thing if they're just really, really joyous that their game's getting funded. I think my... My issue with maybe some of the big publishers is when I see kind of stretch goals which are bringing in additional components sometimes, Mm -hmm. like games that I know that it's been obviously carved off and there's a couple of companies out there that have done it. And I'm also not sure about kind of stretch goals offering optional purchases as well. Because yeah. I think that can drive up the overall ticket on a game. I mean, I'm looking at some of the games out there, and in order to get everything in the package, it's like lining up to be two, three hundred dollars, which is fine because they're getting it because they're getting a whack of cash. But also at the same time, there's a lot of people that I I worry about some people's financial situation when they're laying down two hundred and fifty dollars at a time on a Kickstarter. When I remember. You know, when I mean, I'm not going to keep going back to the halcyon glory days of the translucent yellow, red, and blue dice of Steampunk Rally. But <laughs> when that came out, you know, you didn't get many over the hundred dollar mark in terms of the Kickstarters. It was generally, you know, it's like I sound like an old man when this was nothing but fields, you know, and it used to sun, <laughs> it used to be sunshine every day. But you didn't get a massive amount of. You didn't get an awful lot of campaigns over the, that were hitting the $100 mark for the base game and then adding on a pile of stuff on top so that you were ending up with a total ticket of two dollars $300. And I think we seem to see that kind of an awful lot. And I, I worry about what kind of precedent that is setting for kind of people. Uh, um, it just kind of slightly, slightly concerns well, during, me. During this uh, campaign, there were five... <laughs> blockbuster kickstarters with over a million dollars concurrently running yeah. for board yeah. games i don't i don't think i've ever seen that in my life like so you know there's there's only so it's like the competition is increasing at a greater rate than new people are entering the system yep. right so then you know you 
so, you know, maybe I'm naive to say we don't want to play the game, you know, um, but we we don't really want to play the game. Uh, at least I don't anymore. I want to I want to just make good games and I don't want to try to employ all these like tactics and mm. trickery to 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 maximize every ounce of profit. Like I heard, uh, you know, some uh, I was listening to um, an audio book about you know the inception of Pixar. They were saying uh, the the guy who wrote the book he was saying that you know Walt Disney's um, Walt Disney always said we make movies uh, we don't make movies so that we can make money we make money so that we can make movies and that's kind of how I feel as a creator like mm-hmm. I want to keep making enough money so that we can do this you know for a living as a career and that's it. Yep. Look, I'm just jealous because I'd love to drop three hundred dollars on a Kickstarter campaign, and I just ain't got three hundred dollars. Otherwise, I'll be up to my eyeballs in minis. You know what I mean? I'd be like, <laughs> I just feel like throwing minis about, wearing kind of minis chains. You know, my car, the car bonnet. You know, the inside bit of my car would just be have little kind of minis all over <laughs> the place. I'd have like the Cthulhu, the Cthulhu mini. That, but it's not a mini; it's a maxi. That would be on my like the, the bonnet of my car, like some kind of Rolls Royce kind of wing <laughs> thing. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. The you Texas know, I'm not talking it. I'm not concerned. I'm just absolutely jealous. Let's get straight, you know. But from, I mean, okay, Manny, yeah. here's a question for you. As somebody who's running, and and this is obviously time's ticking, and this is coming to its end. As somebody who's about to lay down, you know, potentially it could reach, you know, one seven fifty in terms of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Do you think there should be a separate pen for the people who are starting out? Do you think that your big your big boys of this world should have their own section in Kickstarter? Or and then the indie guys and you guys should have their own section? Or do you think that you know it's fine as it is and then it's down to the individuals kind of doing their marketing to get themselves kind of noticed? Um <clears throat> I think there's a lot of discussion about stuff like that, whether it's different places people can go. Like, uh, I know there's been a couple of companies mm-hmm. that have tried to create new versions of Kickstarter. Like, uh, Indiegogo, Indiegogo yeah. tried. They just haven't been able to succeed with uh, board games specifically. Yeah. But um, I think you potentially get into a, a almost a segregation issue then. Where, you know, people would people would probably consider Roxley and Dice Throne a big company. They would probably consider it a big game now. So, but we don't, I mean... We, we don't have very many people, <laughs> you know, it's, we're, we're not, a, we're, we're, yeah. if they, if they saw our office, they'd be quite disappointed. Yes. It's not, it's not a big, <laughs> it's it literally in my garage. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Paul comes over to my garage to work. Yeah. So, but then if you need access to a spanner, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, see so you take, I mean, it, it's all like, I, okay. So I, I ran a bunch of Kickstarters years ago for comic books. And I remember the first one I did, I raised $12,000 for my graphic novel that I made. And uh, afterwards, I had people tell me, oh, that's really amazing. You succeeded, so you're not going to use Kickstarter anymore because you're no longer a small guy. You made $12,000. So you made your money. Now get out of Kickstarter and let other people make their money with Kickstarter. Because Kickstarter is for people 
You greedy bastard. Kickstarter's for people. Just imagine you do the Doctor Evil thing. You made (laughs) $12,000. But I just... Pinky on the lip. I just remember trying to explain to them that I made $12,000. I made like $100. Like, that's how much I took home after nine months of work to publish this independent graphic novel. And there's just kind of a... Like right now, you get to look at us and Dice Throne. You get to say, you guys made one and a half million dollars US. And that's, <laughs> and that sounds like I really should just be out buying Maseratis and putting them on each foot and like just like driving around town, <laughs> drinking champagne out of my shoes. Like you know? big feet. <laughs> and so, I mean, we have the reality is Manny and I and Nate just, just took money home from dice Room. yes yeah yeah like the first time yes so so yeah. there's there's kind of a misconception i think that um but i mean obviously awaken realms they have a ton of employees uh simon obviously or come on now they changed their way they're supposed to pronounce their company name um but you know they're a major comp- corporation you know they're, they're these are these aren't small companies and i think the nature of any commerce or any you know capitalist society is that you have to you have to compete you have to learn how to compete and right now i think if i was just launching dice throne for the first time i don't think it would would have been as successful on kickstarter i think it probably might have got buried under all the other competition i mean when you have 50 campaigns launching every week how do you get noticed anymore i i yeah i'm just like you know i ran a kickstarter like about a year ago Mm -hmm. now well not yeah, about a year ago now, and I was like, "Thank, thank goodness, it's not a game. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness, it's just to kind of like help some mm-hmm. get the show some stuff and equipment, because I wouldn't know. I kind of, I'm like, well, I know how to market, yeah, but then it's not just a case of the marketing because I've seen games that do phenomenal amounts of marketing, mm-hmm. and they just don't seem to get anywhere. And at the other times, I see games which are kind of like they just catch fire from absolutely nowhere mm-hmm. and they do phenomenal amounts of money i mean um i mean frank west who's just finished on the isle of cats i mean he he works his ass off but you know his latest one did half a million dollars <laughs> you're just like yep. wow that was absolutely fantastic but i still see the smaller guys kind of as i say catch fire and and do exceptionally well and it's just I can't, there's not a formula. I'd like to say yeah. I know the secret of Kickstarter and what's to work, but I've seen I games think, that do really, really I, well. I've you, seen, you know, you know. I think it's in the in the board game industry in general because we ha- we've been out, you know, going for, you know, so many years and we're starting to establish, form- there is starting to be formulas established, right? So yeah. I think that, like, where, so I like to think that as long as it's innovative, and presented very professionally with good branding and it's attractive. I think that it is very possible for like, if you look at dungeon drop would be a good example. I mean, out of nowhere, small guy, he, he knows the value of good branding and presentation, nice, attractive video, interesting and innovative concept for a game. Right. That's what I'm backing personally. I don't care about anything but innovation. So if you show me another worker, if you're just a little company showing me yet another miniatures project, sci- generic <laughs> sci-fi, generic fantasy, 
um, or a worker placement game with a tiny little twist on the thousand other iterations we've already seen, I don't care. Unfortunately, if I see an innovative game, doesn't matter how big or small they are. I will, I will back it. Yep. That's what I was searching for when I was at Gen Con. I wanted to find cool games. I wanted to find something neat that I could take home and play with my, with my kids, my family, friends. And like, I could have gone and sat at the Asmodee booth or, fantasy flight but i instead i was i was actively hunting for something fun and unique and special i i only demoed three games total the entire weekend that i was there and i ended up buying two out of the three of them because they felt special they felt unique they felt fun like i was experiencing a new way to play games what is lighting your fire then i mean what is getting you kind of excited you know what is um Manny is 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 not an easy. Critic. No, <laughs> I I want to pick your tiny. I want to t- pick the tiny corners of your mind very very quickly and say, you know, what is kind of like what is kind of like turning your head. So I come from tabletop war games. I love dueling. I love fighting games. I like to. I like mm-hmm. skirmish, like where War Machine or Malifaux or you know any any like games where I'm dueling and fighting with an army or whatever. Um, yeah. And so at Gen Con, a game called Unmatched was uh, was oh, was out. Oh yes, 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 yes. And uh, I was told by people, like some people there, they were like, "Manny, you'll like this game. This thing is awesome. It's right up your alley." And so I first thought, I first thought, "Nah." I mean, I appreciate it because I they also thought I would like Funkoverse, which was a new game, which was a dueling game yeah. with Funko Pops. Um, but that was the one game I played there that I went, ugh, it just didn't do anything for me. But Unmatched, not only is it all the art and design is from Mondo, the company that makes movie posters and stuff, and so the graphic yeah. design was beautiful, the art was super cool, um, But they and they, they took an old game, I think it's called Star Wars Duels, with restoration games, Yes, and so they rebuilt and polished this dueling game into a beautiful very quick like games take 15 minutes uh they're flavorful and fun you know i played as medusa battling uh sinbad and you know i normally don't get into licensed properties like that but it just felt right it felt good every the battle was good the combat was excellent the packaging was great. The price was good. I mean, with a minis game, I bought everything all in with all the miniatures and all the hero variations for like, I think it was $80. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it just, it just appealed to me. Like I, I was um, the other game that I bought at Gen Con without playing it. I just got a demo. Someone pitched it to me. It was called Dragon Scales. And it's a game from Arcane Wonders, and I'm not necessarily a fan of Arcane Wonders. I didn't really know them much as a company. Um, yeah. But it was this fascinating game where it's kind of cooperative, but like you're trying to destroy a dragon. So on the surface, you're just rolling dice, and then you attach them to abilities, and then you um, fight a dragon. But you're all villains, like you're a, a, a fallen knight and this this witch witch lady and whatever. But if anyone tries to run away, one of the win conditions is, or endgame, is someone tries to run away and they leave the dungeon. So the first person to leave the dungeon ends the game. So as you're fighting, 
if what if you decide if Gavin's like I'm out, I'm gonna I'm gonna run for the door. All the rest of us could yeah. be like, uh, no, and then we start fighting Gavin, and we want to kill him before he leaves the <laughs> leaves the dungeon. But meanwhile, there's a dragon trying to kill us, and so but we're all mad because the he's wussing out because if he leaves, the entire win condition of the game changes. Like the victory points are tallied differently. The entirety of the game changes at the end if someone flees out the dungeon. And I, I very distinctly played this one night. It was super easy to learn as well, which was handy for me. Um, but I got towards the end of the game and I wasn't winning. I was totally, my victory points were very low. And I didn't care because I was enjoying the, the combat and the, the kind of pulling some jerk moves on people that I enjoyed playing games with. And right at the end, there yeah. was a guy running for the running for the dungeon exit, and I gave him a boost out the door and ended the entire game. So <laughs> I helped him run away, and everyone at the table immediately stopped and looked at me as if I had just betrayed everyone. <laughs> and in real life, and it was so it was so enjoyable to play this, and it was only it was less than an hour to play a whole game with five people. Yeah. And the components were good. It was it was a it was a fun new experience, I think. And that's it's it's kind of like when I go see a movie. I want the movie to lie to me. I want it to lie to me so good. I want to I want to feel like I'm watching <laughs> something unique and fresh and fun, even if there is only yeah. six movies that's ever existed in the history of the world. You know, whatever. I don't care. I want that yeah. movie to lie to me and make me believe that you know, like Dwayne the Rock Johnson and Jason Statham are best buddies and Hobbs and Shaw. You know, like. I want to see that. I want to see that so bad. That's like <laughs> I want to see that film. That's I just going to be like it. my favorite movie of the summer. I'm pretty sure. I just because the only reason is because I watched Jason Stratham quite recently in um, his Guy Ritchie kind of debut. I think it's Snatch. Oh yeah, yep. where he's been uh, Brad Pitt, and he's just like where he is now compared to where he is there. Yes. It's just completely, yes. absolutely different. Yes. Um, what about you, Gavin? Is there anything that you're that's kind of floating your boat at the moment. I know you've not got time to do anything, so maybe sitting down and contemplating your navel for five minutes is absolute luxury at the moment. But is is there anything in the game scene that you've went, actually, yeah, I can, you know, that's my bag. Obviously in a slightly deeper voice than mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. But is there anything that so you're... I've been, I've been talking just with, with uh, you know, uh, the designers that I work with, Mm-hmm. Um, about the idea, you know, the idea of games that have multiple acts, and I've cited so terraforming Mars, whether you like it or you don't like it. Um, mm-hmm. One, th- I think one thing that it does very successfully is it has three distinct acts in the game. So, like Dominion has two acts, right? You like you buy the cards, and then you you know you you keep buying cards, keep buying cards, and then you start cashing them out, right? That's like the standard euro sort of dynamic yeah um but then you have terraforming mars which has three very distinct acts like you're you're sort of starting starting to build your tableau and you know increase your economy then you're really starting to generate lots of lots of resources in the middle and and working to to build up the temperature on the planet and then there's then after once you once you hit these triggers the game, the game just fundamentally changes into the state where people just start putting cities and stuff all over the map. Um, 
So there's three for me when I play, and I've only played it a handful of times. But for me, the the real success of, of terraforming Mars is in in the this sort of three act um, sort of design. And so in the realm of like games with multiple acts, which I think which really interests me, um, we just recently played Jaws um, from Ravensburger, but designed by Prospero Hall, which is they're pretty talented little group of uh, designers. It's very very polished. And yeah. uh, it has, it, it, you know, talking about acts, it has two acts and they literally call them acts. Act one, you're, <laughs> you are, you know, going around one player. It's a hidden movement game in the first half and you're moving around as the shark. You're moving around the board, trying to eat swimmers. The more swimmers I eat in the first half, uh, the more cards and tools I get in, in the second act, um, which is the boat scene where, you know, these, these these guys are trying to kill me as the shark and I'm popping out of the water. And there's, so there's this double guessing bluffing sort of game in the second half, but yeah. it's also this like Ameritrashy, you know, dice rolling and trying to hit them. And then, you know, they fall in the water. It just insanely thematic, extremely tight design. Um, and just the fact that there's these two, two distinct acts and they jive so well with with the movie. It feels very innovative, very innovative. Um, yeah, so I just I loved my experience with that. I've only played it once, so I don't know if it holds up to balance or or whatever yet. But it's definitely a game that I'm going to be playing more of. I saw a lot of people say some were spreading the shark love about. A lot of people were saying how much they enjoyed playing um, playing Jaws when they got their when they got their. Um, their teeth into it, basically. Um, I'm very conscious of the time, gentlemen, and you know, um, but um, and as I say, we will try and get this episode out as quickly as we can. So, if people are listening along, okay, and they're going dice thrown, I have no idea. Um, what's the two minute pitch for people that have never ever played dice thrown in their lives? And I'm going to. I am going to ask both of you, one after another, to give your version of the pitch <laughs> for why people should be checking out the Kickstarter as it draws to a close. Um, and I'm going to ask Manny to tell us what he <laughs> thinks. All right. <clears throat> um, if you've never played Dice Throne, Dice Throne is effectively fantasy combat Yahtzee. So you get to be a hero battling others and the core game is designed and built around that idea of a direct head-to-head duel, where Nate, a lead designer on this, has taken that, and he has allowed you now to be able to play with your friends and to go on a campaign adventure together, trying to defeat four levels of the world to take on the Mad King at the end and take away his power and remove him from the throne. That's really concise, <laughs> Gavin. For an additional, for an additional four bonus points, <laughs> can you add on to that? Why maybe they should consider back in the Kickstarter? Seeing as if I can edit this as quickly as possible and get out of the door as quickly as possible. Why? Or oh, you can have late pillages, by the way. Yes. Yeah, I mean, we still got another twenty-four hours. Oh yeah, I guess you got to do all the editing and stuff. Not really. I don't edit. It's no point. This has all been gold so far, except for the first bit where you were <laughs> just disappointed me. Um. Anyway, why should they jump on the Kickstarter? 
Go, Gavin. Uh, well, Dice Throne. So we're kickstarting two things: Dice Throne Season One rerolled. Dice Throne. If you've never played Dice Throne, Dice Throne Season One rerolled is absolutely the product that you should get. Um, the best dueling game I've ever played. Most accessible. Um, it's you know I play like as I said I played it well over two hundred times. It is the most played game in my household. Um, the community, like you just just look at some of the quotes on our Kickstarter page. Um, the community is, is nothing like I've ever seen for any other game. Uh, people are absolutely obsessed with the game um, and see huge, you know, there's a huge amount of value just in the, the core season one box. Um, you're getting eight heroes with it. Um, so, yeah, as, as Manny said, it's the, the central mechanic is basically combat Yahtzee. Um, the cards add an insane amount of strategy and decision to that. All the characters are very asymmetrical. They all have their own sort of dynamics and and play style. Um, one of the best things about the game is the, the level of complexity of the characters uh, is very it ranges greatly. So you know, I can play my my son, my eight year old son, can play the barbarian who is very very simplistic. Um, he's kind of and he's actually very random. And then there are other heroes that are completely balanced with the Barbarian, um, such as, like, the Artificer, say. Um, and the Artificer is... is It's like playing a Euro game. You're generating resources, and you're mm. using those resources to build things. So it's almost like this <laughs> clash between Euro game and, and you know, Ameritrash. Um, literally, I'm playing a, you know, a Euro game character, and he's playing an Ameritrash-style uh, character. And uh, super exciting. Like, if you ever come to our booth at a con, people are screaming and yelling and cheering. Um, so, yeah, then Dice Throne Adventure is basically our gift to the cooperative community that say, I don't want to fight my friends. Um, I want to, you know, I want to play. I just want to. I, Dice Throne interests me, but I want, I'm into co-ops. So the, the mechanics of Dice Throne lend themselves perfectly to a co-op game, which is just mind-blowing. Yeah. So it's actually pretty... The, the innovation of Dice Throne Adventure is that we've actually genre-bent the game into being a cooperative game when, you know, you, so you're, you have this dueling game, and now we're telling you it's also a cooperative game, which is very interesting. And you it, it's designed to be you know, quite replayable. So there are certain like legacy elements, but overall we, you know, we wanted to create an accessible um, campaign, uh, cooperative campaign game that you can play over, you know, four sessions with your friends, four to four to probably seven sessions with your friends. Um, and you can, once you're done, you can play it again. So, yeah. That's there you go. Adventure. <laughs> mm-hmm. There you go. That was a long elevator ride, but I appreciate yeah, I'm, it. Yeah, I'm, I'm like really bad at pitching games. <laughs> that's that's this is why I'm like I don't want to go to the shows. <laughs> um, just let me make them. That's always yeah. That's you know that's just do that. Um, thank you very very much for coming on the show, gentlemen. I really 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 appreciate yeah. your time. I'm delight delighted the campaign's done so well for you. Um, and actually, it was only the other week there that I realised that Dice Throne was a pun. So that's just me. <laughs> um, and, 
And uh, there you it. go. But if if people want that's true, if because I'm stupid, if people want to follow you on the internet webs, where do you exist on the internet webs, Mister Trembley? Where do we exist? I think uh, either if you're a Facebook person, our Dice Throne community is really where you want to be. Um, okay. If you're looking for being able to order a product, DiceThrone.com is where people will be able mm-hmm. to add on. Um, if someone listens to this later after the campaign, they're, they're going to be able to still join the Kickstarter through Backerkit uh, or Pledge Manager and get in, get in on it. So... Those are probably the two key locations, I think. And what about your good self? If they've listened long tonight and they've said, ah, he sounds cool. He sounds like a hero. Where can you? Where can they find you on the exist? Well, at uh, hero, <laughs> hero.com is uh, the first location. Forward slash, forward slash, it's just Manny. <laughs> no, um, I, don't, I don't actually have a, a website or anything like that. So. And Captain, my captain, what about you, Mr. Brown? Roxley.com and obviously Roxley on Facebook and Twitter. I mean, most of our communication now goes through social media. Um, So, yeah. Social media. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we'll make sure we put those in the show notes um, so we've got notes to show. Um, If you want to keep an eye on what we are up to, go to the internet web, search for We're Not Wizards. You'll find us on all the different places, worn out faces, bright and early for the daily races, and, you know, our blog, which is we'renotwizards.blogspot.com, and our website, which is we'renotwizards.com, and our Twitter, and our Instagram, and our YouTube, and our, you know, we're on the back of cereal boxes, and we'll probably end up on the back of milk cartons one day. (laughs) Um, If you want to... uh, follow us and listen to us just check us out in any podcast catchers that have got the word pod and cast and don't have them at all like player fm and stitcher if you like what you've listened to even more tell somebody about us which is really nice or jump onto apple Podcasts and drop us a rating or a review if you are going to be giving us a rating or a review don't give us 10 stars because it makes us big-headed but don't give us one star because it makes us cry Mm-hmm. Give us something in the middle, like a five, because it's average, and we're just a little bit average. <laughs> but the people who have not been average tonight, I give you, I give you Manny, I give you, he's always been my hero, it's Mr. Gavin there you Bryan. Are. Um, thank you very much, very much for coming yep. on. Um, there's only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we're Many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, gentlemen? No. <laughs> uh, um, Manny's a wizard. Oh, come on. <laughs> He's, you're a bit of a wizard, Manny. <laughs> and the you second see thing. Draw. I, I did finish the dial just, while we were on the, the podcast, so. See, he's doing yeah. art while we're talking. I can't even begin to process that. I'm I'm having to sit down because if I'm sitting down or standing up and talking and breathing at the same time, <laughs> my brain starts to slowly drip out of my nose. Um, yeah, so I, and I, I had to do the dial because we're doing the Treant presentation today. So there you go. All right, there you go. There you go. And the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's, it's a goodbye from the rather wonderful, rather fantastic... Gavin Brown. Say goodbye, Gavin. Goodbye, audience. Thank you. And it's... (laughs) Goodbye, goodbye, Gavin. And it's a goodbye. (laughs) 
It's a good. It's a goodbye, goodbye, Gavin. Goodbye. Get out goodbye. of here. And it's a. It's a goodbye from Manny. Say goodbye, Adios. Manny. Yay! It's and it's like, a goodbye from me. It's like the end of uh, in the Night Garden. I thought this was like the. Uh, this was kind of like the end of Lord of the Rings, where it just keeps ending. <laughs> it just West. keeps ending forever and ever. I've still not finished. And uh, it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe. Rule sixes. Make something awful. And. Uh, Get that dice thrown. Mm. But until the next time, goodbye. Bye-bye. A wizard is never late. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to.